Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find us also. Feel free to connect with us on social media, at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, the Longhorn Republic Podcast on Facebook, and, and as always, you can email us at LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's hoping Lee Daniels makes a sitcom about him, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I don't know if they make about cupcake eaters. That's not even true. I don't have a sweet tooth, but uh, I could I could, I'd make a pretty good subject, I think. This, uh, this nice podcast we do, Gerald, stemming out of the, the obvious... Uh, Early two thousand sitcom, little in the middle, all the true, uh, the true, uh, <laughs> the day ones, yeah, all the true day ones. The shirts heads know know about that, but um, but yeah, uh, Longhorns popping up everywhere in the media, you know, um, TV shows, uh, nationally televised football games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The fact that Brian Arakpo and Michael Griffin own a cupcake shop in Austin is 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 cool and ridiculous enough. But the fact that there's going to be a sitcom based around them, uh, also involving Michael Strahan, correct, yeah. is is actually pretty. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and call it pretty ridiculous in the best way possible. I, I I don't know how else to describe it. Oh, you better believe the DVR will be set. I will be a cupcake boy. I mean, DVR or Hulu or whatever service it's going to come on. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely be there. So we're here to do our West Virginia recap. We'll bring you our OU preview uh, on Thursday. You can catch us then. But 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 we're gonna dive in and give you a little bit of a refresh and a recap on what happened against West Virginia. The Longhorns. Uh, are still trying to somehow climb out of a hole. It's the only team, I think, in conference that they have a losing record against. They're still 5-4, and four, but they managed to hold on. Uh, after playing a little ugly early, They they it felt like one of those oh-not-again kind of games early on, and then Texas managed to turn it on late. Sam Ellinger did what Sam Ellinger does. Uh, 211 yards and two touchdowns, added in 45 rushing yards and two on the ground, including kind of a game-clinching, kind of a nail-in-the-coffin situation there toward the end there's a lot to unpack let's we'll go and start with the offense I think because Ellinger had a great game Roshan Johnson played really really well uh there's a lot that we can unpack so let's start with you know what what did you like most from the offensive unit uh at Texas well I mean I think it's easy to start with with Sam as we typically do we seem to favor the quarterbacks on the show but uh I, I will say this um I like that we're saying, you know, that I'm about to say that I think Sam had his worst game of the season and it was still a great game. I think Sam um, played a lot like a last year, Sam, where he was good in the air. Um, there was a lot of things working against him. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, he, he, you know, really did it with his legs uh, a couple times, um, which I, I'm okay with in, in big games and gutsy games and road games and tough games and close games. Why not use one of the best, you know, distinct advantages in college football? Um, he threw for 211 yards and two touchdowns. Really, we'll talk about why that 
depending on how you score it, was three touchdowns in a moment. Um, 45 rushing yards and two TDs. I think, um, you know, just solid, used his legs when he needed to. Uh, in the first half, kind of had that that first rushing touchdown was uh, a scramble where they had it perfectly covered. And, and when the defense covers something perfectly, there's one weapon that Texas has that not many schools in the rest of the country do. A guy who can is mobile enough to, to close those 15 yards and strong enough to punish the defender to get into the goal line. So, again, just um, – I'll start with Sam, and 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 I'll lob it up to you, Gerald. Um, was there any player on the offense who you think had a particular play or a day um, that was even better than what 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 uh, Sam had? Cosme had a great game, and I think that's what you're you're going for. So uh, Sam Cosme as a offensive tackle rushed for 12 yards and a touchdown. Uh, it was, it was a, kind of a, a, a lateral, so it counts as a run, but Sam threw it to him. Uh, but it is the only rushing touchdown from an offensive lineman in school history. And I say school history, like they started keeping stats in 1947. So, I mean, in the 80 years of Texas football, uh, there hasn't been one. There have been three other offensive linemen to score. Two were receptions and one was a fumble recovery. Uh, but he also just had a great game on the offensive line. Like he was named to a pro football focuses uh, team of the week, him and him and Parker Braun both. Uh, so they were, they were instrumental very clearly in what Texas was trying to do offensively. And I think that kind of takes us to the ground game a little bit. Cause your boy Roshan had a game. Oh yeah. He had a little bit of a game. So 21 carries 121 yards. And the thing that's surprising and kind of, uh, not surprising, but I think impressive about that is that he did most of his work in three quarters. The, yeah. the end of the first quarter with three carries for three yards. Uh, and then in the second quarter, uh, second through you know fourth quarter, he carried the ball 18 times for 118 yards, which is six and a half yards per carry. That puts Texas uh, over 200 yards for the second straight time, uh, which hasn't happened since Deontay Foreman was running the ball for Texas. So uh, Roshan, like... I'm not of the camp that like Roshan is RB one, but it's definitely a turned into a, a one, one, a situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we talked in our, both of our kind of previews about Texas versus the West Virginia run. And unfortunately, Keontae Ingram um, wasn't fully healthy by the end of this game. It does look like he's going to be cleared this week play against uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in our next podcast, but uh, um, he was forced in and, and like it has been all season, it's been next man up and, and Roshan Johnson is, is eliminated. They said on the broadcast of something around the, the lines of, you know, before he moves back to quarterback, um, the guy looks like a running back. I mean, he, he legitimately looks like he could play his whole career at UT and be a unbelievably effective running back and maybe even play at the next level. I think it's lost a little bit that he's actually great size um you know he's a good sized quarterback it wasn't like he was an undersized qb or something um you know he he stands next to ellinger's you know backside and you, you may not get it but um just the, the the giant legs the the strength uh to break the tackles kind of the, as he as he grows the the poise and i think even in this game you could watch him grow into the patience of a runner we've seen it all year where he knows how to hit a hole and he just runs hard and downhill um and we've seen it a couple times but it felt like in the second half of the game um especially as they kind of um would would run some um some poles and get him behind uh parker braun moving you know he, he knew how to wait for that watch it develop watch um the the really aggressive defensive tackles from west virginia you know see where the, the hole was going to be um they went to uh probably a just a straight up simple zone you know uh blocking scheme and, and just kind of did what they needed to do um I, I really really am impressed like i, I 
I don't feel like there is a quarterback playing running back at this point, right? Like, it, I mean, Roshan is is a running back and is a, a dang good one. Yeah, and, and I think that's just what happens when you recruit athletes and, and guys who are willing to play uh, anywhere. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I think people overdo, like, team-first stuff, and they kind of go a little overboard on that. But that that's a guy who selflessly was like, hey, what can I do to – he wants to play. And I think that's more like – it's it's just as much like I want to be on the field as, like, I, I want to help the team, which is – Great, don't don't get me wrong there. I love I however it happened, it worked out really well. And I think that he's this is going to sound crazy, but I think because he has he has so such little experience playing running back, he's not overthinking things. Mm. Where I think Keontae sometimes is overthinking things and trying to make a play where Roshan is just see a hole, hit a hole, and I'm just going to run forward. I'm not going to try to cut back. I'm not going to try to spin guy. I'm, I'm just there. I'm going to follow the blocks. I'm going to hit the hole, and I'm going to get you six yards of carry. And that's that's what Texas needs right now is somebody that, that keeps Sam Ellinger from having to get those tough yards from putting Texas in front of the chains rather than behind them. Like if you get four yards on your first two downs, you're looking at a third and short. So like that's, that's what Texas needs from him. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that in, in, he hasn't had an offseason playing running backs. Like if he stays at running back and develops as a running back, because Texas is bringing in two quarterbacks in the 20, the 2020 class uh, and already has one signed up for 2021. So like, it seems like the, the running back room is going to be a good spot for him. If he wants to compete because newsflash, he's already competing and has competed for a spot. I think you can make the legitimate argument that, that obviously Ellinger is the most important piece of the long You take him out, um, I would put that Cosme is equally important. I think they are both. You know, I think Cosme is probably the best player on the team. No offense to to the Ellen God, um, but but truly just the potential that he has. You take those two guys out, and you say maybe the next most important player on the team, offense or defense this season, and it, <clears throat> right now it might be Roshan Johnson, just because of the think about where we were when we were talking about well how how, how many carries can can David Benda get? You know, and, and I mean just how dire we were um, if this Roshan Johnson move doesn't work out and again with with ingram getting nicked up um it, it's probably a, an entirely different narrative heading into um this rivalry week we have coming up but i do want to say i don't want to just i don't want to blow over um the, the country country roads he had to run through i mean like i said we, we talked about cosme parker braun was also on the pro football focus um team of the week Jared Wiley, a guy who, I mean, we thought would have a much longer gestating period, especially blocking, moving from a high school quarterback, has just stepped up and probably the best blocking tight end on the team. He really played a lot of the second half as Texas just said, we're going to grind you grind you out. And I think West Virginia, Neil Brown showed early, like, I'm going to run blitz. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take the run away, kind of make you pass. I'm not going to run on you. I'm going to pass. Just kind of had a game plan. And, and Texas took a couple punches and said, okay, but this is what we want to do. And so we're going to do it and enforce their will. And I think that's where this Texas offensive line um, is different than it has been in years past. Like they, they schemed, they did the right things. They really, you know, tried to limit the run uh, for, you know, the first quarter, first quarter and a half, maybe. And then Texas just, out physical, out game planned, out muscled, just out executed, um, and and was able to run to the tune of, of two hundred yards, which, if I recall, was um, my prediction. But um, <laughs> but no, I mean, just just really incredible. And to block a guy like like Darius Stills, who who legitimately is probably the second best defensive tackle in the conference, obviously after Snacks. Um, it, 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 I mean, good on you, like good on that offensive line. It makes me feel pretty good heading into 
heading into the the rest of the Big 12 schedule. You know I love to talk about the offensive linemen. I think it's uh the what they're doing you're 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 seeing how good a Texas recruiting machine can be with a top tier offensive line coach. Like the way Texas can recruit based on its cachet, plus the fact that the Texas staff are incredible recruiters, add into the fact that Herb Hand is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. I, I don't I don't know all of them, but I would put him probably in the top five uh, of offensive line coaches in the country. So like you you pair those things together and you get things like an offensive line where Sam Ellinger, Sam Ellinger really, after the first quarter when, when Texas was able to catch up with the West Virginia scheme, didn't really feel much pressure in the pocket. Like he had a clean pocket for a lot of the game, and then they were able to exploit some some over-aggressiveness from the West Virginia defense late. Now we've got to talk about uh, Kirk O'Grines getting yeah. his first carry. Absolutely. Um, we can't talk about the running back, and he got he got some tough yardage. Like I thought it was gonna be a, I thought it was gonna be the Kirko show, like his YouTube channel. Um, but he's it, it, I mean, it was great to see him back on the field. He's a guy that you and I both uh, cheer for unabashedly because we want and and really need him emotionally to be uh, to be a contributor for Texas, or at least be able to get through a season. Yeah, I mean, it was beautiful. This that was his first carry, or his first carry in that game was his first carry for the Longhorns in a competitive football game since the Texas Tech game in 2015, Gerald. 2015, that seems like another century. That's another millennium. Pat Mahomes was the quarterback for the Red Raiders at that time. Uh, Just incredible. Herman talked about it in his presser today. Incredible that the kid stuck around. You know, you could have easily said, you know what, I gave it all the the tries I could. My body didn't want to cooperate. I got injured. This happened. Um, But just the perseverance, man. A true, like inspirational story. I hope he gets a TD before the year's over over. Like I really want that for him badly. Yeah. And, and I think I would love to see that the wide receivers, Devin, Devin, the Duve did what Devin, the Duve does had a couple of really key, uh, third down receptions. I ended up with 86 yards, um, had a rushing touchdown, a nice little uh, – it was good to see Texas running something that looked like a jet sweep rather than the team playing against them scoring on a jet sweep. <laughs> uh, Texas, 10 of 18 on third downs. That's going to be um, a KPI for Texas moving forward. 36 minutes of possession. This is kind of your point that you put in the show notes, but I, I talked about it in the inside the numbers piece. Texas, once again, was able to to win without its A game. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like they, they had – you know, varying between 70 and maybe 85%. The, the Cosme piece is all 110. That that bumps up the average. But, I mean, that was their B game. That was their 80% stuff. It was a tough environment. Everyone knew that it would be. Um, there was a point when it kind of gutted out the emotion. They rode the, the emotional wave that West Virginia – Mac Brown used to always talk about that, that you have to kind of weather that surge – from the the opposing fans and they felt like they did that and they they had two drives at the end of the the half where you know they had seven points and all of a sudden they had a 69 and 80 80 yard TD drive to take a 21 14 lead in and it's like okay they made it through the the tough stuff now they're going to do it and they come out in the third quarter and they got negative six yards in their first six plays of the of the second half Um, Ellinger had an INT in there you had a couple receivers just running bad routes where the ball just looked Confused. Oh, you, uh, excuse me. O line even got beat a couple times um, in that third quarter. It just like it, it seemed like deja vu, and then they gutted it out. And and again, it seemed even a little closer, probably than I mean, West Virginia got that last score. Um, but but honestly, you got to line up in victory formation. They gutted it out. They held the lead, never gave it up. They they 
you know, they did what they needed to do. We'll talk about the defense in a second because I can't, don't think this is an offensive only performance. But the offense itself certainly gutted it out. They got those 200 yards rushing, 200-200, you know, well well balanced, really obviously favoring the run more than anything. Um, and just, you know, looked like they weren't going to give it up. And, and it's been a while since I felt that confidence in a Texas team that they weren't going to find a way to, to kind of screw the pooch. You know, it's it, it, they... They looked like no matter what, even sloppy on the road in a crazy, you know, mountain moonshine fueled environment. They did what they needed. Outside of fifty percent of the field this weekend, that's probably going to be the toughest environment they have to play in this year. Because, um, because again, West Virginia, we talk about it all the time. Morgantown's like playing on Mars. They can't burn couches anymore, but they sure uh, do burn up some brain cells. And so they, it, they're really able to to go after it. And, and again, that that was kind of a big talking point on Saturday. But Texas really doesn't have to travel very far from home for most of its games. You know, again, right? It's before Saturday, before West Virginia, their first road game was a neutral site game against Rice at, at, uh, at Reliant, right? And then they, they have Kansas at home, TCU's on the road, but again, that's a three-hour drive. Iowa State uh, at the end of November is or the middle of November is tough. And then Baylor who's surging a bit, but again, n- not having to travel very far from home is, is very helpful uh, for this team as the schedule rolls out. So we do, we do need to talk about the defense because the defense played uh, really, really well. I say that they gave up almost 500 yards, 160 yards, but it was a lot of bend, but don't break, which is kind of what you do in the big 12. That's kind of the mark of a good Big 12 defense. Uh, so 463 yards, uh, only 96 on the ground, which was a big, big deal and held West Virginia to 414 on third downs. But I think the biggest story is the four interceptions, uh, 21 points off of turnovers. And so under Tom Herman, you know, Texas is 14 and two when, uh, when they turn the opponents over multiple times. Uh, the only two losses came in 2017 uh, against Texas Tech and USC, where Texas turned the ball over four times in both of those games uh, and still managed to keep it to one score. So that's, a, that's been a big deal for, uh, for Texas. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I think that's going to continue to be when you have a, a, a offense that converts third downs and Ellinger who's going to be mostly responsible with it in a good running game. If you can get the ball back, if you can limit the number of possessions, that's that's the key formula. I mean, Todd Orlando is not every every team's cup of tea. He may not be a Big Ten-style defensive coordinator, but he might be just about as perfect as it gets and as well-suited as a, as a person can be with his kind of system and scheme for the Big 12. I think the bend don't break. I think the emphasis on getting getting turnovers, the kind of taking one piece of the game away from a team, making them one-dimensional, and, and even though they're going to put up you know good yards, really unbelievably hardening at the goal line, which they just have shown uh, an incredible ability to do, um, it's it's a it's a fantastic formula and it clearly seems to be working just well enough again i would love to see texas hold one of these big 12 defenses to like 14 points but it's hard to do that there's just athletes there's guys all over the field there's players who you know again 10 years ago would have led the conference in in any statistic at the bottom end right now it's just the numbers are crazy um and you just have to kind of keep that perspective but um we can talk about the coach but you got to talk about the guys on the field and i think it starts obviously this week with Deshaun Jameson. I mean, uh, are you surprised, Gerald? I mean, I knew we, we knew he was an athlete. We knew we could catch, obviously. Um, we knew he was he was electric with what we saw versus Rice. The, that first interception was one of the 
the best Texas defensive plays I remember seeing ever. I think Jamison, obviously, that one was a big – that was was basically all him because that was a play where I was like, oh, Jamison got burned. And then I was like, oh, Jamison recovered. Oh, oh, Jamison broke that. Oh, no, Jamison came down with it. Like it was it was like (laughs) a a no. Yes. What? What? Yes. Huh? Kind of play. And then I uh, my wife was trying to get my son to go down for a nap and I had to keep my keep my emotions in check uh, on that play. She's like, your son just calmed down. You need to quit it. Uh, So that was I mean, the the secondary did benefit quite a bit from from a good strong performance from the defensive front. The defensive line did show up uh, very much on the stat sheet, but I think that they were able to create a lot of bad throws and bad throwing lanes for Kendall and keeping him from getting comfortable, which again, when you, when you're even a good quarterback and again, full shots at Austin Kendall, even a good quarterback, uh, when you can't keep them from setting their feet and, and really making good throws, they're going to throw some interceptions. So I think that the, the athleticism on D- Jamison's first one and fosters, you can't deny, but I think two of those were also, uh, helped by a, uh, by a, a great performance from the, the defensive front. Oh yeah. And, and, and I think there was some scheme there. Texas really they surprised me a little when they came out in the three three five and and basically did their inverted cover two that they've liked uh, this year and they and they are trying to help out with the depleted secondary on how much they have to do. Um, they're not bringing like they did early in the season against LSU where you know I think they got some some blowback on that, but not bringing the house and putting people on islands. And so you're probably not going to see a lot of games unless it's a a decided scheme shift where Orlando's bringing, you know, six guys, seven guys often where you get a ton of sacks. And we said before the game that that for all of his faults that Kendall was pretty good at getting the ball out quick. Um, that was one of his strengths. Um, Brown kind of built the offense around that. They had took some deep shots, but he could get the ball out quick enough and their line wasn't that bad. But I do think there was some penetration. There were some hurries. They did all those things. Um, I would love to see, you know, see, see a sack on the stat sheet, but I also love seeing those interceptions. I think those coverage, some of those, there was the other two interceptions were really just a quarterback who, who knew he had to try something and a defense who was in the right place and, and forced him into it. So I, I think, you know, you have to read that both ways, but uh, yeah, I think Dele too. I mean, really, really promising game from him. He got the INT, um, but just because they went in that three, three, five, he was on the field um, almost the entire game. And I think just looked uh, Osai continues to, to be a weapon that Texas can use in a lot of different ways, depending on the opponent. Um, but I'm excited to see Dele the, you know, both of those guys young and growing into their bodies, growing into what type of player they're going to be at this level. Um, it, this was, this is in my opinion, probably the best game from Dele that just the versatility that he showed out there. So um, there were some, some, some real pluses. Yeah. And the, that linebacker group continues to be impressive. Osai um, is a backup in name only at this point point where he's not I don't think he's listed number one in the depth chart but the guy's getting the majority of the play time uh, and now he's tied with Caden Stearns for the team leading tackles presumably uh, he will overtake him this week against Oklahoma uh, Brandon Jones played really really well um, he is turning into a really really competent open field tackle uh, tackler and I use that um, not as a backhanded compliment but as a full-on compliment where he's just it, the hardest play to make in football is an open field tackle and Brandon Jones is able to do that and so I think it's really really impressive that he's been able to change his game up and play closer to the line and play more run support where he's not necessarily used to doing that yeah and and, and I think when you see a senior stepping up with young guys around him and you see the difference when he's making sure tackles when there's a big lot of yards real estate behind him um it's exacerbated by a lot of west virginia's big plays came off of 
just whiffs or guys going for the big hit and, and not getting them down. And then he got 30 yards after that. Um, I think my prediction that I missed, I did make two. I don't have the numbers, but just eyeballing it, I didn't want to look it up. Texas had too many missed tackles. I, I think I, I said it would be double digits, and I was certainly wrong about that. I, I, I don't know how many they had, but um, a lot of missed tackles from, from all over. From, the, from the, that same linebacker group we praised, uh, there were some missed tackles there. From the secondary, certainly. Um, I mean, just, just too many. And in, 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 you know, the Big 12, you can, you can have a shootout. You can do that, but I mean, you, you go look at what's happening in the Pac-12. I, I think back to that UCLA uh, uh, was it Wazoo game where where you know quarterback had nine TDs and they still lost. If your defense keeps letting them score, it don't matter how many you score, you know, because all you got to do is mess up once um, or turn the ball over or whatever. But uh, you know, th- these missed tackles is the thing I want to see. The biggest improvement that I want to see. I, I, I will get guys back. That's great. But if you're out there, if you're wearing the Longhorns, you know, Texas on the front. You're expected to hit a guy and put him on the ground. I don't care if it's 12 yards down the field or at the at the line of scrimmage. You hit the guy, you put him down. You do that for your team. That's that's the the team defense mentality where you can count on someone to do that. That's what Texas needs to do really well against OU because their their players are good enough, and we'll talk more about this on Thursday. Where the smallest seam, the smallest crease, and they're taking it to the house. So I think that'll be a big differentiator. And we do have to talk really quickly about uh, just the penalties on on Saturday. Texas had its most penalized game of the year. Uh, weirdly enough, not its most penalized game under Tom Herman. Uh, that distinct question mark honor goes to the Oklahoma State game from last year that Texas lost 38 to 35 they had a uh, no I'm sorry the Oklahoma game in the uh, Big 12 championship game 13 penalties 128 yards uh, which is just absolutely dumb that's an anomaly based on what Texas normally does Uh, but the some of those plays I'll give you where a a senior player or a, a experienced player should have should maybe have done something differently, but some of them just seemed um, maybe like they were going one way and not the other. And, and I'm not the guy to blame the refs, right? Texas still managed to get a win, but like it just it's it's weird how Texas has one or two of those games every year. Yeah, I, I, I hate being the conspiracy theorist. I remember you know when when there was the meltdown after the Oklahoma State game a couple years ago with the with the infamous defensive holding, um, and and I. I, I I was furious, and I, and I I didn't want to blame the refs. And then I saw um, Barking Carnival's own um, Scipio Tex laying in, and he's one of the most reasoned, rational Longhorn fans. And I said, okay, it's okay every once in a while to call it when you see it and say this was absolute BS. As long as that isn't your MO and you're going every game and saying that, it's okay to call that out. I mean, it's the Big 12 refs. They have parody Twitter accounts for a reason. Um, you know, it, when, when it's out-of-conference games or bowl games and you get the Big 12 ref draw teams grown because it's known that this is a please don't find us but an interesting group of uh, a collection of individuals who um you know should should maybe look into a lens crafter sponsorship it's it's it was just odd i mean honestly it wasn't even like oh he missed that or he, it, it was odd some of the things that they called it's like where what that's phantom where was that you know even even you know a neutral would 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 see that it was a little odd again they won the game. I'm not here to, to, to bash the rest, but I just think it needed to be called out that a couple of those calls go a little bit differently, and maybe this is a little bit more comfortable of a victory, even with all of the things we just finished talking about. Maybe this is another touchdown 
victory in that in that uh, in that spread our good friend Raymond texted me at the end of the game when they reviewed um, the play before the last Oklahoma or last West Virginia uh, touchdown and he said why on God's green earth are they reviewing that and my response was because the refs have money on the game because uh, Texas is my it was Texas minus 11 and so we are we'll bring you an Oklahoma preview on Thursday we'll give you a full rundown of what Texas brings to the table against Oklahoma well, now's the part of the show where we honor all of the sports and teams on campus that don't necessarily get the shine that they deserve, and we down the 40. So first up, the ladies of the volleyball team continue to absolutely crush it. Uh, they swept TCU, extending their, their conference winning streak and just their winning streak overall. They've only surrendered one set in conference play. Uh, Mikaela White had 13 kills in the contest. The win, uh, t- the NCAA released its initial volleyball RPI rankings, and they're number two behind Baylor, which is just incredible so texas uh, takes on kansas state and oklahoma at home this week yeah and, and those are going to be great games and then right after that 10 23 they do play that baylor team with two of the best the probably two best teams in the country so some fun volleyball the ou game is home i don't know, think there's any tickets left i believe it's a sellout i believe the it's baylor game yeah and the baylor also sold out but we'll be able to watch it on tv so everyone should watch that and in spirit cheer on point texas Absolutely. I'd definitely be on the Longhorn Network if you get that. Uh, soccer fell 2-1 to one to West Virginia in double overtime. Uh, the Mountaineers' Addison Clark scored on a putback, which was just tough to see. Um, it's tough to... Uh, the the soccer team is struggling after after a really strong season last and I say struggling, like they've lost, what, four games this year, so it's hard to really call that a struggle. Yeah, they came in with a number next to their name. Though there's expectations, they should be a, a the, the the class or one of the top teams in the Big Twelve. It's a tough loss, but all of their games this season, besides the you know eight zero victory, um, have been so close. Even the losses, they they had a one zero win against TCU with an eighty eighth minute uh, goal from Sierra Henson. So I mean, they 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 play eighty percent of their soccer in in three percent of the minutes. So really if you just see that on the schedule, tune in about minute eighty five and catch some drama. Uh TNT, they know drama um in the final final seconds. Hopefully Texas can get that going their way though and get some of the breaks. So some some lifetime Longhorns making some news as well. Kat Osterman was named to the 2020 Olympic team in Japan as softball returns to the Summer Olympics. Big ups to Kat. I argued on television that she was the most dominant athlete on campus at one point. That was while Vince Young was also there. Uh, Ariel <laughs> Atkins is uh, up 2-1 in the WNBA final. She can become the third Longhorn if the Mystics are able to win game four on Tuesday. That's correct. Yeah, the the, the first, I believe, since 2010. So everyone tune into that tonight as you hear this. This will uh, drop on Tuesday um, to to cheer on the, the only Longhorn left playing basketball right now till the, till the men started up in the regular season. All right, so let's move into the Burn Orange lenses. I know that's what you all came here for. Uh, this week there was some fun stuff. Um, you got to start right at the top where we've been starting, basically, like I said, with QB 1.5, the uh, the Longhorns' uh, second son. Um, the Boosh. What a game, man. The the, the incredible comeback. Uh, SMU, it looked like the, the Cinderella season might come to an end, um, but they erased a 21-point uh, deficit to send it to overtime um, and then uh, actually got a, a dramatic winner in overtime that game featured a uh, a kickoff that uh, was onside recovered in the end zone one of those long kicks that someone was waiting to roll in the end zone you see that every couple years maybe I've only seen it like twice um, but just crazy stuff but you know big ups to Boosh who 
showed the grit, showed the heart, showed what we all loved him for on the 40 acres to keep that team undefeated and undoubtedly now the the second best team in Texas. Not even put Baylor there third above the Aggies. Um, so just just really, really good stuff from Bush. Yeah, I, I tuned into that game. I, I almost didn't. I was like, I'm going to go to bed. They're they're down totally. It's over. And I was like, whatever. I I needed some time for my NyQuil to kick in because I've been feeling under the weather the last uh, last few days. So I was like, whatever. I'll just catch a little bit of it. And then they just kept throwing touchdown after touchdown. And the, the dime that he threw to win the game, because they should have lost because the running back on the previous drive, like, fumbled the ball. And then uh, because <laughs> – because Tulsa's kicker is awful, he missed a field goal. Actually, the, the second kicker missed a field goal. So the second ki- kicker missed a field goal, and I texted friend of the show, Mario, who uh, we were texting back and forth about it, and I said, all right, here here it goes. They go yard for a winner. And sure enough, Boosh just dropped a dime. It was so, so stinking pretty. Oh, yeah. That's that's the type of stuff that, that made people wonder if uh, if he should win the job over Ellinger. And again, all love here, but the other uh, the other team we've been following pretty regularly this year, of course, is Mac Brown's Tar Heels. North Carolina beat Georgia Tech thirty eight twenty two to move to three and three on the year, and also get Mac one of those coveted non former uh, coordinator victories. So happy to see that he's been very very close. This is by far the biggest point spread of either the wins or the losses. They've all been about a touchdown either way. Um, so nice for Mac to. You know, get a little little breather at the end of this game and know it's one. Um, also, the future uh, future Longhorns had a, a good week. You can't talk about this, uh, the kids who are going to be on the 40 acres, without talking about the uh, Jaquindon Jackson show. He had five passing touchdowns in the first half against Skyline. Gerald, uh, was that final score close? No, not, not in the slightest bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, I don't even want to say it on air because I feel bad for the Skyline kids, and we also recruit out of there. So, just big ups to Jaquindon Johnson, uh, and also have to mention Bijan Robinson becoming the all-time leading rusher in Arizona high school football with five thousand, or excuse me, yeah, five thousand nine hundred twenty-seven yards, and that was all I believe in the first half. Just kidding, um, but he looked amazing yet again, um, salivating at the prospect of getting that kid on campus. Uh, Colt McCoy got his first start in nearly a year. Um, kept the Redskins close at half, 12-7 to against the New England Patriots. Moving on, uh, Aggie killer Justin Tucker hit a walk-off field goal to beat the uh, the Ravens rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Ravens Twitter, uh, or the, the official Twitter then called him Automatuck, which I really enjoyed. Um, there was a great picture of Earl celebrating um, that he put on his Instagram with just the big scrum, and in the middle of it he's hugging Tucker, and you just see a giant hook them we'll put that on the uh, the show instagram because that's my favorite picture of the week and then finally tony bracken's inducted to the southwest conference southwest conference hall of fame i believe nine members of this class bracken's was 93 to 95 i think um and then went on to a very prolific nfl career truly deserved um the uh, the fairfield texas product daryl you a big fan of the brack uh, yeah, the the flower of Fairfield is, I think, what we what I colloquially called him in in 1992. Uh, that was the I, I just I love getting to see these these older players that um, not a lot of people our age and younger have experienced. It's why I also love that we like update on Mac Brown every every week because you know what a lot of these people weren't around when Mac Brown was absolutely killing it at Texas. But now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, we're a bit too old to to watch wrestling anymore. And any of our listeners are listening to wrestling, that's awesome. I, I 
I loved it as a kid. I, I, I stepped back, and it's hard to come back in once you've left. But the next best thing is when you take the showmanship, the flamboyance of wrestling, and, and add it to, to the game we love, to football. We all remember He Hate Me. We all remember um, the entire league uh, that, that, that came and went. Um, but it's back. The XFL will be coming back. That's been announced. Um, there's even a Houston team, so I'm going to try to get some tickets. Uh, but the the... The XFL has to have players. And so they announced their initial draft pool. And in that draft pool were two names that looked very, very familiar uh, to, to true Longhorn heads. Uh, I asked Gerald before the show if he remembered him. Ced Reed, your boy Cedric Reed, actually played on Gerald's Dolphins there for a spell in the NFL, um, was was the first name that I caught. And then I found my favorite name of the bunch, a kid who whatever, whatever team he gets on the XFL, I very likely will have a jersey. Well, it depends how much they list them for, but may in fact have a jersey of his with the XFL team. If he comes to Houston, I will 100% buy one no matter what. But Gerard Hurd, we've talked about Roshan Johnson uh, a lot this year on the podcast and the selflessness that he did, but there was another quarterback who even got here, set records for how good he was at quarterback and did the best thing for the team. Gerard Hurd, um, another one of those guys who will always be a, a favorite in Longhorn's hearts for his his ability to put the team first. Um, and when he didn't make the NFL, we kind of said, man, that was a tough crew. We always wanted to see a little bit more from him. So I'm hoping Hurd not only makes it, uh, gets drafted in the XFL, but goes on to be a Garrett Gilbert level MVP candidate uh, in, in this league. Uh, if only Steve Spurrier could could coach him. But yeah, XFL, Gerard Hurd. Told you the kid could move. Click, clack. So like one of my favorite moments of the last probably 10 or 12 years was the uh, the the comeback against Cal where Gerard Hurd kind of squeaked around the end and kind of found a seam and it was just incredible and, and they should have won that game and then a weird missed extra point and Jared Goff and I both said the same words uh, after that mix, missed extra point. Go look it up on YouTube or don't if you don't like profanity. But it was it's just good to see um, guys like Gerard Hurd who – Again, could have been really, really incredible, but things didn't fall his way. Uh, get another shot to continue playing football. And so I'm banging the drum this week on uh, a certain hand symbol and the unnecessary controversy around it. So um, the the me- members of the media in Oklahoma asked Lincoln Riley about the horns down hand sign. And Lincoln has told Oklahoma players that they will not signal the horns down the Oklahoma spirit squad was strongly discouraged from doing the horns down. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. It is just absolutely dumb that you can't take the teeth out of a rivalry. Like, I don't know why some Texas fans get so offended by it. I think to me, it proves that that what we've thought all along that Texas is the Joneses. Like you have your own hand sign and you choose to do ours. Like I, I don't, I don't see the problem in that. Like continue to do it. Cause you know what? That means we're in your head. That means that you, you take this rivalry just as seriously as we do. And that it is, it is a big piece of real estate for you. And so I, I'm fine when people throw the horns down, when I see the horns down on college game day with two teams that neither of them have ever played Texas. I love seeing it because it means that Texas is exactly where it should be, which is back on top in college football and dominating people's brain space. So that is what I want to see. Do the horns down because you know what? It means that you fear us and you are afraid that Texas is better than you. People are out here real scared about capital B back. Uh, 
if you take the horns and put them down, the first part of that sentence is you're taking the horns. You are measuring yourself uh, via us. And as, as they famously said uh, in the Knight's Tale, you have uh, been measured, you have been weighed, and you've been found wanting. And that's it. Like, that's it. You, 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 whatever measurement you use, you've been found wanting. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. And feel free to use an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook 'em. Kirk Herb Street's right. Kyle Fields overrated. <laughs>